Welcome to Talk Design Show, where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey, your host, and having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening and please enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is Michelle Dempsey. Now, Michelle and I met ooh, a couple of years ago, um, and she is an architect and uh, president of DX Dempsey. Now, DX Dempsey is a firm which specializes in, I'm going to let Michelle explain this even better than I will, but specializes in brand um, leverage, I suppose, with within architecture. Um, they're based in Scranton in Pennsylvania. Now, for those of you who know Scranton, I won't need to say any more. For those of you who don't, this is the home of the famous show, The Office, and uh, the TV show. And also, it is President Biden's hometown. Um, so, Michelle, welcome to Talk Design. Thank you. Adrian, how are you? It's such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, like Thank you for the nice introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I could have done the, all the awards, but you know. Don't worry about that. Yeah. There's the awards, awards, and then there's the yeah. other stuff. <laughs> um, awesome. I'm fascinated by what you do with the branding side of um, your business. So we're going to leave that till later. Uh, no, but I am fascinated by that. <laughs> we'll but see we're not going to jump <laughs> right into that. <laughs> Um, where I'd rather jump right in is, um, tell me about your um, TEDx talk. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, the power of possibility. What if? The power of possibility, right? Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, that was something. So being, being based in Scranton, Pennsylvania, uh, one of the reasons I chose to start my firm here, I had, I was working, I'd worked in Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. And that's where I was at the time, Washington, D.C., and I had designed a house for my parents. That's how a lot of architects sort of start off, right? Yeah. I back think. here, they lived back in Scranton at a lake about 15 minutes outside of Scranton. And so I knew during construction, I wanted to be here. So, um, so I came up here for thinking for just, a, you know, a little bit. And then I go back to DC or go to New York or somewhere different and kind of realized that um, I fell back in love with the area that I had left. You know, I, I like some exciting things were happening. There was a young mayor in office and I thought, you know, I've got all, you know, I've got some experience behind me and nowhere needs talent, an infusion of talent and energy and youth like Scranton. So uh, I love being near my family again. So I decided to start my firm in Scranton. Um, and as the time went on, you know, sort of several years into the firm, we started, you know, we realized we were always looking around for, you know, we were waiting for projects to come to us. And yet we would see all these things in the, in the city that we felt like, oh, somebody should do this here. Somebody should do that there, you know. And, um, and I remember a talk from Tadao Ando that uh, I, I had the pleasure of being able to, to attend down in Washington, D.C., where he talked about, you know, kind of designing things that nobody asked him to design because he felt there was a need for them or he thought they were great ideas. And, you know, he'd take them to the, the, the city and they would say, why do you keep showing us these plans? We don't need them, you know? 
And then one day there was, and this is in the TED talk, but one day, this was my inspiration. One day there was an earthquake and, um, and this one particular area of town, like everything was destroyed and they knew he had done a design for that, that he kind of tried to push through a few times and they just came to him and they're like, we'll take that design exactly the way it is. Like, let's go. No way. And so, yeah. So it was sort of this, like putting something into the world and just doing it and showing what it should be. And then, you know, some, he's like, eventually the opportunities come. So, um, so I talked to my team about that and we started thinking, well, what if we just did kind of our service to the community? What if we looked around the city at things that we felt could be better? Look with our architectural eye, right? Sure. Like you can look with any eye you have, a graphic yep. design eye, it doesn't matter. But with our eyes as visionaries, we thought we'd look from the built environment and our architectural eye. And so we just take turns like on a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly basis. When somebody's turn was up, they do a what if, right? So um, we, so, so you formalized it in the office. Yeah, we formalized and, and it in the studio office. And, and you went, okay, so, it, so my month might have been next month and I would have to do a kind of a what if. What if we did this to yeah. this? Yeah, we'd have fun brainstorming or thinking of things, right? And the, the first thing that really sort of inspired it too, where the what if became formalized after this was um, the the mall, our local, like the, we have a downtown mall, right? And downtown malls seemed like such a great idea at the time. We know in retrospect that they're terrible ideas, right? Because cities are about, you know, street life and um, malls are about stay inside, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're just know? a little bit different from casinos, you know? Yes, <laughs> just yes, a little bit it. different. You got it. Same idea, though. Come in and don't leave, right? That's it. That you won't know what time it is outside. We've got you. Don't worry. Plenty for you to do here. Yeah, we'll pump it in some oxygen, and you'll be good. Don't worry about doing your watch. Um, So, so, yes, and I remember in college, when I wasn't, I wasn't even in college for architecture. I did that undergrad. I was doing engineering, and I remember walking through the hallways of my dorm and looking at at that time, only the lounges had TV, right? And looking at the TV as I passed by and seeing like an implosion and it said Scranton, Pennsylvania. And I just stopped. And I remember seeing four blocks of my downtown just implode. And they, it was like exciting news to them, like making way for the new, you know, Steamtown Mall. And honest to God, Adrian, I remember at the time just thinking, that doesn't feel good. Like something about this, seeing those sort of beautiful historic buildings just crumble yeah. Even to me at that time, as not an architect, not not sort of maybe just having it as a as a, a thought in my head at that moment, uh, watching that historic four blocks crumble, just something didn't sit right in my being. Like it just didn't feel right. And was, um, yeah, I was going to say, was that because of your attachment to your hometown, or was it because of? just something didn't feel right. It was taking something That's away it. that was already there. Didn't feel right. That was it. Cause it wasn't an attachment to downtown, but something about seeing those, cause they were sort of, you know, they're, I know like people were, well, no, this wasn't a good area or whatever, but those, there's the character to those buildings and even I could feel it. So just, I watched and I just went, Hmm, I don't know. doesn't feel good. But then on I went with my life and my, hmm. you know, my education 
Um, and so, and the mall went up and, you know, it was touted as, you know, Boscov's was there, Al Boscov saved the day. And truly people who were participating in this thought they were saving the town. It's not like nobody did this maliciously, right? Yeah, right. No, they were um, all with the best of intent. All with the best of intentions. But <laughs> yeah. I do remember. So Jane Jacobs, who's a very famous city planner, as we all know, um, she was born in Scranton. She moved to New York City. She was a major part of stopping Moses from, you know, putting a, a highway through Greenwich Village. And um, quite, oh, she's okay. like, she was a like little spitfire. I love her. And yeah. she wrote the, the Death and Life of Great American Cities, right? Very, oh, okay. I haven't that read book. that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, she's amazing. She's just, she didn't have any formal training. She just really sort of observed and she had great instincts for what made cities work. And I remember at the time, <laughs> uh, I found out later when they imploded those four blocks to put up a ball. It's like Scranton is dead to me, right? Like, like she, she knew, yeah, she knew <laughs> it was a, a bad idea. This is a long way to start getting to. Um, so now it's cut to however many years later. This had to be, you know, almost two decades later. Um, the mall is dying, right? As all downtown yeah. malls do, because mm-hmm. it's just not conducive to a downtown setting. Um, and it's it's introverted. Cities are extroverted. All those kind of things, right? No street yeah. life, no activity. Um, and so, and it takes a four blocks. It's just, it has no frontage really that gives no. anything to those four blocks. And I, you know, we just in, internally said, I said, guys, this, the mall's dying. It's going to, you know, some people can see it, some people can't, but it's happening. It's, what if we dreamed up what it could be now, right? Like mm-hmm. before it's dead. And that was the first what if, right? Like that was the first idea. Would, could we carve up the mall, give it back to the street grid, you know, turn it inside out, maybe create a better, you know, um, we have this amazing, like incredible uh, national park called Steamtown National Park. It's like a train park. It's so yeah. cool. And nobody knows where it is or how to find it because it's tucked away and just very, very difficult to get to. So we're like, maybe we can create like a, um, you know, better way to get there that's easier and it's, it's uh, you know, has a better threshold and it, all these kind of things. So that was our first what if, and that inspired and spawned, you know, Scranton what if. And so the purpose of the TED talk was to tell, you know, was basically to, to say like, look, we did it our way, but if everybody sort of. If everybody did a of, what if, yeah. Yeah, how can we make the world a better place? Eventually maybe all the what ifs would meet, and you know, it's, it was really about fixing your corner of the world. And that was how I started the talk. It's like, when I was yep. young, everybody in my family has to like work at my family's industrial laundry business and, and not like in the cool parts, like I had to work fleet ma- like plant maintenance. And then I found out fleet maintenance was like Tim McNichols worked out there and he was cool and funny. And like, I wanted to work with Tim. So I had to work on GMC step vans all summer, you know, covered in grease and oil every day. Um, and and just, just for anybody for anybody listening, if they could see Michelle sitting there with her hair and like you know, beautifully dressed and everything, and she's saying she worked in Greece and you know and on, on GMC trucks and vans every day, you wouldn't believe the story right now. Yeah, that's uh-huh. <laughs> true. It actually it came in handy. Learning how to change a tire came in handy with a oh yeah in college driving with a group of my girlfriends. But at any rate, Tim had said to me. You know, I had no idea what I wanted to do in my life. And he had, he was asking me, what are you going to do in college? Cause I was like a senior and I'm like, 
I don't know. I said, I just, you know, I think I might want to work for Peace Corps. I wanted to, I wanted to make a difference. I wanted, I had a, like a heart, like I wanted to make a difference in the world. And he told me I had saved the world syndrome. And he's right. I think I still do. Adrian. Like, I, I think it. I still do. That. But he said, he said, you know, it's, it's great. That's a, that's great. You should do whatever you can to make a difference in the world. And he goes, but it's just as valuable to fix your corner of it. And that Ooh. always stuck with me. Yeah. And I thought, wow, you know, everybody always makes fun of Scranton says it's hard scrabble, you know, it says, Oh, you're from there for you. And I thought, ah, this, this is a place that needs a lot of help and a lot of love. And maybe I can, I can be the person, maybe my calling is to be one of the people who, helps turn around. So when you say that it's a place that needs um, a lot of love and stuff, give me just a a little bit of history on Scranton, like location wise. And then also like it's, you know, it's kind of past history of why it developed, what it was there for and how it's sort of developed through those levels. It's the American, like it's the story of immigration in America, right? So my grandfather was, I think, the only one in his family born in the United States, right? I think he was one of seven, and my family on my dad's side was from Ireland. And they came over, potato family, and all the things that hunger, all the things that normally send people to the United States uh, sent his family over here, too. And um, you come in through Ellis Island, and then it's like, if you have family somewhere or, or just a group, you know, sort of like everywhere else, the tapestry. That's why in America you have these like pockets. Yes. Pockets of Irish, pockets of, mm. you know, pockets of pockets of Polish, pockets of German, right? Just when people came in, they sort of found their their communities. Yeah, yeah found the their tribe States. and, and um, things with tribe. similar values and, and stuck together. I love that in America that's for traveling. Was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, like, hey, come here. We've, we've sort of set the, we laid some groundwork, come in, you know, We've got a job in the mines here, you know, send so-and-so, uh, we can help them out. We can put them up, you know, so it's, it's the, it's the way it happened. And mm-hmm. so your tribe and your community, not only were, were they the ones who supported you and maybe give you money when you didn't have any money, but it was like, you understood the language and a lot of like, maybe not of for Ireland, but for Oh well, yeah. I don't know. When you're in Ireland, it's pretty hard to understand them sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> So coal was uh, was actually Scranton started with iron ore, right? Sort of the it, it started. It was a mining a mining town. First, it was iron. First, it was um, the Scrantons who who actually came and started Scranton um, came for the pig iron, you know, and they, they did the iron furnaces. They created the iron furnaces, and um, a lot of the, they made the T rails that uh, you know for the train tracks that mm-hmm. the coal coal across the country and really fueled the industrial revolution. Um, so it was first it was steel, but that was short-lived um, because there was better, there were better steel um, resources in other places. So eventually sure. they moved. Yeah. Um, but then coal came, right? And then coal was king because that was and it was anthracite coal, which was cleaner than bituminous coal. So it burned cleaner. So it was like everybody wanted it. And our valley had a lot of it. So we were one of the big art, like all, you know, all along the northeast of Pennsylvania yeah. had a ton of it in the Lehigh. Lehigh Valley had some too. And the closer to the river you got, the better the coal was. So there were a lot of getting too close and you know, floods and things of that nature. But so Scranton by 1930 was a very rich and prosperous city 
because it had beautiful architecture because of the coal. Because of the, um, the money that the money that was in the town. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was the, the second or third biggest city. Um, but the people who were uh, working the coal mines, of course, weren't making the money and were being, you know, not treated well. And, um, and so my grandfather died of, you know, um, like emphysema or, you know, like a lung disease. Like a burden of black lung, you know, yeah. um, celiac disease. And, yeah. And so just from being down there all day, never seeing the daylight, right? Being in the mines all day, these like conditions you can't even imagine. There's actually a coal mine tour that like probably okay. is better than the conditions they went through. So, so it's um, similar to being in the mall, but not quite the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Less light. Yeah. Um, and my, my grandfather actually left school in fifth grade and worked briefly in the mines as a breaker boy. And they would separate the coal from the shale on these like long shoots um, after it was brought up from underground. So that was it. So it was, it was, we were known for coal, right? This whole region was known for coal. And as soon as fossil fuels came into the picture and coal went, boom, yeah. so did the area, right? So by the 1950s, it was pretty much over. Right. 30s so all was its the, growth kind of just stopped at that point. Like it just, yeah. Thirties was the apex, and then uh-huh. boom, you see you see a you see a sharp rise and a sharp fall, and wow. with that with the population. So at our height, we were like a hundred and you know maybe one hundred thirty people, and now we're at about seventy five thousand. Right. So right. so but by the fifties, we had really seen, and nothing was there to replace it. Right. So yeah. what replaces this this industry? Um, so people, we were the hard scrabble coal town forever, you know, and even though I had a great family and a nice childhood, like when I went outside the area, everybody said, oh, that, you know, Scranton, no, I'm sorry. You know, I'm from Scranton. No, I'm sorry. You know, I never got like, I always felt like, why do I have to feel bad? that? I, why does everybody feel bad for me that I'm from Yeah, right. Scranton? Yeah. What, what's you know? the... So obviously <laughs> so it, was... it had a brand, well and truly a brand that um, permeated beyond you know it's localness it was a brand within its state and it wasn't a good one by the 19 sort of 50s 60s 70s yeah. probably um mm. yeah so then it was like so what do we do you know like how do we come back out of this hole and um and so the industry here health and and um health and higher education started to be the the thing you know the, the eds and meds as they say That's started to be the thing that first and then around the time I moved back, the first medical office or sort of the first medical school in the state in 50 years uh, opened in Scranton, you know, so now it's the right. school of medicine. Um, and that's, that was a huge, you know, that, that's an influx of a lot of things. The University of Scranton started to really take off all these, you know, we have the Geisinger Health System, we have um, Delta Medics, we have all these like different, um, you know, health facilities yeah. like opening. Yeah. That are attracted to the med school, that are attracted to you mm-hmm. know the, the three big hospitals, and, and and then we have the University of Scranton, we have Marywood University, we have, we have all these different universities that are like one college, we have um, Johnson College, like just we have a plethora of higher education in the area, um, a lot of trade schools as well. So that, that was, started to be the, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say that was very cleverly predeterminedly designed by. I, I want to say the city fathers. I'm sure <laughs> I don't know if that's the right term, but somebody made a decision in back in those days that this would be a future path. 
I think I, you looked at like, what do we have going for us? Our yeah. location we have going for yeah. us, two hours from New York, two hours from New Jersey, or sorry, from Philadelphia. Um, so we have our location going for us and we have like, we have a lot of old people. So we have a lot of hospitals, right? So, right. And, like, and then a few people really saw the value in the medical school. And I think that was one of, one of the, the factors, you know? Um, but then when I was moving back, we had a mayor who was young and decided to treat the city like a business and, you know, started really the first, the real renaissance, the real turnaround. Um, Cause he was mayor during that, you know, and helped facilitate it and everything. Um, and so, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to stay when I came back and there was a good local music scene and a lot of things that young people like, you right, know, yeah, the older things that attract them. Yeah. 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 And I was having as much fun here as I was having in the cities, you know, so I thought, you know, I'll stay here and start my business. Um, and then, then the thing that I feel, cause what you said, you know, when you said Scranton, when I say Scranton now, there's only one thing that the everybody office. wants to talk about. <laughs> it's the office. Right? Well, Biden's <laughs> hoping to roll that over so that it's him, <laughs> that at the moment it's still the office. <laughs> the office. And so when I was, you know, just a few years, I started my business in 2003, and I think around 2005, the office started on TV. Uh-huh. And by 2007, it was like, finally had found its feet and became this really popular show on NBC. And um, and I I think we're going to get to this in a future uh, podcast, maybe in and of itself, but yeah, so what we happened will. there, yeah, but just to touch on it briefly, mm-hmm. you know, what happened no, there was... The same. Yeah, I was um, I was like looking, you know, when when your computer populates and wants to tell, brings you stories from all over the world. You know, there was a story that caught my eye about Preston, Idaho, seeing an economic boost from people who were going to visit all the locations in the cult movie uh, classic Napoleon Dynamite, right? And so I thought, oh, that's interesting. Like they're seeing like an like an economic. Uh, impact from yeah. people going to visit these locations because people love this movie, right? And I'm like, well, we're the home of Dunder Mifflin, fictional home of Dunder Mifflin, and this show is a very popular show on TV. Maybe we should do something about that. Maybe, maybe so, we should be, yeah, maybe we should be capitalizing on that um, right? value that's been built. Yeah. But what do you do? What does that mean, right? And how do you capitalize on it? So. I thought, oh, we should have like a convention. Like we should invite all the actors and all the writers and everybody to come to Scranton. Like, I think it would be like a little architect city, a little yeah, office in Scranton. And we're like, oh, yeah, with that's a, great. Yeah, with a great big water. <laughs> but what if we did that? <laughs> it was what if on a whole different scale, oh, right? Oh, yeah. And I just could not, I was a dog with a bone. I could not let go of this idea because I knew if it happened, it was a game changer, right? And, uh, and I just I kept bringing it to people and bringing it to people and bringing it to people because for me, it wasn't about being famous people from like, um, sort of understanding that perception is reality and understanding a little bit about city planning and, yep. and, and sort of the architecture, the vision, all these things inside me coming together. I mean, this is going to make an impact. And so I, I had three different groups of people who were all like, great, yeah, we're behind you, but then nobody anything or could make it happen right it's like what do you do like nobody knows what to do and then somebody introduced me to my friend tim holmes who was like marketing events for the local newspaper and i'm telling you that guy from the second he didn't even watch the show that much at the time but from the second i said here's my idea he's like got it got and it. He, could see, he instantly he could see 10 10 steps down the road and what this would do for the city and, mm-hmm. and he knew how to work and he just 
he knew what to do. He knew how to organize it. He just, he was the guy. And so that's when it happened, right? So, so I think all, so having all the actors and writers and come to, and crew come to the city twice for two huge events, um, I think works in concert with Scranton being known for the office. And they keep coming back. Like Brian Baumgartner was just here on a book tour. You know, yeah. he's a, he's Kevin Malone on the office and he did pod, a podcast here. And so, you know, they have a real, like the connection is meaningful and real. It's authentic. Well, it's not. You, just, I was about to say, you yeah, with that. And in fact, you've given them a place where they can get more depth of authenticity and more depth of connection by yeah. by offering that spot because they didn't live there they but it's the it's the place that they've become to know and then it, it, but they it's like they're always welcome there it's like they've come home kind of thing you know it, it's the chairs bar you know it, where yeah, everybody like can call it home yeah yeah, yeah. You know, like a part of, and they truly do you know especially brian and he's like has this connection he, he's like yeah. can't even explain it you know but they come very often. These these actors just visit Scranton again because they feel that connection. So so we were able to make something out of we, we took an opportunity and turn it into something real and like snowballed it. And it's 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 ever like it's it keeps giving like Netflix, the show becoming so oh. big on Netflix, just like just stratospherically took the office and and so now we are known worldwide, you know, Scranton is known worldwide in a positive way because that show treats us like another character right it's like yeah. fun quirky you know all that mm-hmm. kind of goofy um just like everything else but they they they're good to us and we're good, we've been good to them too like it's a again a very um it's a symbiotic relationship love. like it, it works beautifully like uh, my 19 year old yeah. daughter is um you know like the office is like part of her routine it's <laughs> just I don't know how many times she's watched the whole series even, but she's just, you know, The Office. It's like, um, and oh, I'm like, I remember so watching Billy it. Island has watched. Yeah, I watched it. And then I now I, like, I watch it again with her. I'm like, she's like, oh, but you've got to see this part. It's so funny. And, yeah. How old is she? Nine, 19 in about a week. 19. Yeah. Yeah, so she's, so she's nineteen been watching for a while. Um, yeah, probably about probably coming up three years, maybe. Um, but so there's she, a she discovered it. She discovered it. We didn't. Neither Becky nor myself had anything to do with her discovery of it. She discovered it somewhere, and in discovering it, she just fell in love with it and. Just loves the humor, loves the, the just it cracks her up. That would be the best way of saying. It. And look, she she also watches um you know things like Friends and stuff like that. And you know, her and I will do um we watch old episodes of Mash together, which of course is so oh, yeah, and it's so sexist, so inappropriate. And I live in a house of you know. Of three women, and um, I'm constantly reminded of you cannot say that. That is not PC. That isn't okay. And so her and I sit and watch Mash together with Hawkeye, and uh, and, and it's it's totally inappropriate. And we laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh, but it stays inside the house. <laughs> so she's the one who yeah, so reinvigorated it for us. Well, Brian's whole podcast was to try to figure out why 
people love The Office and watch it so much over and over and over again. There's a famous pop star over here. I don't know if you know Billie Eilish. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah. And so she's a massive fan of The Office and he interviewed her too. And she's watched it through at least, I think, 12 or 14 times, like beginning and and, you know, I think her sentiments, like your daughter's, like mine, it's just when you turn it on, you just feel good. Like you're not going to walk away from an episode of The Office feeling bad. It's like a safety net. It's like a, it's like a warm blanket, you know, yeah. it just feels yeah. great. You know? it, it, it's, um, it's always funny, amusing. It's always funny. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I love like somebody, we went to a restaurant locally, um, a group of us go out every Wednesday and different places and we call it wherever Wednesday. And Tim's one of them, Tim and his, his wife, Chrissy and uh, all my good friends. And um, so one of the restaurant owners, local restaurant called AB walks up and he's like, Hey, did you guys see the, the, the acknowledgements? It's like, I'd like to thank Billie Eilish, Michelle Dempsey and Tim Holmes. I'm like, Oh my God. So it's a moment. It's a moment in life. It's one of those who mark like, Oh, that's cool. Because I, I hadn't seen it yet. So that was neat. That's so yeah, cool. That's so that, cool. That, that to me, so Adrian, sort of bringing it back to brand, like I, again, sort of some, some things are intrinsic, especially if you're, if you're a designer or a visionary, mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you sort of put these things together, you make connections that other makers see, you know? And so there was something in me that like, why would I take my time? It really wasn't about meeting John Brzezinski or famous people. Like to me, it was like, there was something like bigger and more important that I could see helping my entire community, my whole, like not as much my business. Like I took time from my business to do this because I knew the impact and the power it would have for the entire area, like the whole region specifically for Scranton. Cause I could see if that became our new brand, that's and and when we knew we had done it was after the first the office convention the philadelphia inquirer had a story in it that said scranton from coal to cool right and i was like tim and i were like oh you know like that's yeah. what it was about you know yep, that's what it was about so. you, you know the the power of um you know obviously like the spotlight like that and also the fact that the office you know, it's a goofy show. It's funny. It's just got feel good. Like you said, it's like a warm blanket. You, you can put it on when you feel, you know, put, wrap it around you and you can sort of snuggle into it. And to be able to do that, if you said to any town, we want to make you feel like that you're kind of goofy and that's good and you're like a warm blanket that people just come back to and they always feel good when they're here. Um Give me the values that would make that happen. Can you imagine the struggle if somebody, you know, one of the one of the city officials had said, you know, you're a branding firm. Why wouldn't you? We want this to happen. You'd be trying to make, you know, ice cream soda shops and God knows what. Um, as opposed to something as left field as like how that TV show is. Yeah. It, you know, like it, 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 that show touches a part of everybody who's ever worked in an office and, and just seen office politics and even people who haven't, like my daughter, she's never really worked in an office. Um, so she, well, but, you know what they say? They say the, the reason it resonates with, with uh, kids is because it feels like school. 
like right. the, the, you know, right. There's the teacher, the wacky teacher, and you're stuck with them and there's nothing you can do. And you have to be with these other people. You like them or you don't. Right. And it, they, they can identify with it because it's sort of like the classroom. Yeah. Okay. So, and I wonder with the producers of the show, at what point, um, you know, a, a show does a pilot and then from a pilot, you know, it gets picked up and then it gets, it's got to get its, its first year's ratings and, you know, let's say it gets through that and then, it's got a formula, it's got a plan, but it's actually a fluid thing. The, the show is being written basically as it's being performed, you know, like not quite, but very closely aligned. Um, and there's a, you know, a big stream plot and what's going to happen. But with a show like like The Office, of course, it's a, it's a daily ramble. It's, it's, you know, it's a daily little episode of something simple, which is... I suppose like a sitcom, isn't it? That's what that's what they are. So they say, you know, at the end, not to spoiler alert, but when it's, yeah. they wrap it up, it's it's not it doesn't give anything. It's about finding the beauty in ordinary things, right? So yeah. the the creators and the, the writers said it's like you're in that you're in that like um, parking lot, you know, that's just a concrete jungle. It's just pavement everywhere, but somewhere in the middle, through a crack, pops up a dandelion, right? Yeah, it's finding those moments. So, and that's actually what Brian's whole podcast was about, the office, um, the office deep dive. It's he talks to everyone, like talks to all the creators, going back to Ricky Gervais, you know, yep. going back to Ben Silverman, you know, watching the show over in London and finding Ricky Gervais the next day and saying he wants to create it here and taking it all the way through finding um, you know, finding Greg Daniels to to be the creator over here, to be the you know, showrunner for this one and create the show, the American version of it and so on and so forth. Like he wanted to go back and sort of find out why it became this thing, you know? And that's, yeah. And so he talks to them and they, they say, this was our inspiration. And we're always trying to find truth and beauty, truth and beauty, you know? And so that's, that's why I think it's so special. You know, it's, uh, and it is because it's finding the beauty in every day. Well, Um, and then there's, they, that backs back into your, um, what if, it, yeah, it, it and just backs perfectly dovetails there and it's like they they belong together because that's what what a thing is if, if what a thing was a thing it's a thing you know <laughs> trying to find where's where's our dandelion where can we find yeah. you know, where, where can we grow plant that seed or, or show mm-hmm. that it could be you know this, mm-hmm. this beautiful thing and that's what we were doing with our what if trying to fix our corner of the world and imagine you know how we could how we could make it better here and so many things were going on at the same time, Adrian. Like we really like that that mayor. His name was Chris Doherty. He was he was working with a, a, a young woman named Sarah Hillstone, and the two of them were a tour de force. You know, kind of turning around the city, bringing people in, and taking chances nobody else would take. Like nobody thought anybody would live downtown, right? It was just yeah. unheard of. Nobody would take the chance. Nobody would try it. And they found that they found a developer from out of town who said, "I'm going to do it," and like clear the red tape for me. And that started like what now is everybody wants to live downtown, right? It's like total gentrification of of, everything. Yeah. 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 Now it's like downtown property values are rising. People are living downtown, all those shops and, you know, COVID put a little bit of a halt on things, but everything's kind of coming back now. So, you know, it's all is a kind of confluence of things, you know, um, coming together and, and, but, you know, sort of seeing that opportunity was one of them with the what if, and then with the office, um, and kind of, you know, and then the the other thing, because I always involve myself in things outside of work. I feel like 
being involved in your community outside of just what you do or using what you do to contribute to your community. I, I teach a course on planning and that's, what, that's really the heart of my course is teaching kids to be involved in their community. Um, mm-hmm. And not, you can't complain if you're just getting out. You can't be a, an armchair quarterback, right? You can't just sit there and complain and say it should be this way. Like, what are you going to do about it? You know, and, and, you, and, and you've got to watch. You've got to be there watching to make sure that, you know, good people are in the right seats because guess who wants to get, guess who is out there trying to get their people into the seats, right? Mm-hmm. People who want to like come in and, and big business and sort of take things down or, you know, make money. Yeah, just for, or, the, sake just for the sake of the money. Yeah, rather than yeah. the sake of the community and everything else. Yeah, And I use as an example in my course, there's a there's a landfill that, you know, locally that was, um, it, it got a, a permit to, I thought it was to be closed in 10 years. It was already egregiously big. And it's it's right next to residential, you know, it's right next to homes and parks yeah. and residences. And they applied for another 50-year permit. And I couldn't believe that they we're going to do that. Like anybody would, the Department of Environmental Protection would even consider, consider this. It, yeah. Um, but they were going to give it. They were, it was going to happen. And so we've been, I've been fighting that with a group called Friends of Lackawanna for seven years. Um, and we are still fighting to this moment to keep that from happening. They actually got the permit after all of our fighting, after everything we showed. And that's a whole nother yeah, podcast but like this is this is like whereas the office was promoting something good this is trying to keep something bad that will be a horrible impact for our area like sure. it shouldn't be known as like the garbage you know the garbage yeah. dump of no release and so uh, uh that's another thing that sort of has taken up like it's like a second job and in, in some ways because to me again having that vision knowing if, guys, if this happens do you understand the, the trickle down effect of horrible things that are going to spawn yeah. from that, you know? Yeah. And so uh, right now we're appealing that decision with the environmental hearing board and the Sierra club just joined us, which is a huge. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. They said, we want to be part of this. And so now the environmental hearing board has to decide if, of course, the, law- the lawyers on the other side are like, no, you know, yeah. and, uh, but like that just shows having them backing us shows that what we're doing, we're on the right side of history here, you know. So but there's so much to that. I could go on forever. Oh, yeah. We've, that's we've, kind of trying to protect the brand, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, that, yeah. and that's part of it, isn't it? It's like, so the, the, the brand um, of Scranton um, yeah. has has values that you know started in coal and steel or steel and coal and then moved through from those values to you know a, a, a new gentrification a new life in this period of its time which will change as we go further forward you know go another hundred years it'll be something different but it came and it's got you know the medical and it's got the education side of it so when you look at something like that you go well you know that no that that um, you know, landfill no longer fits with our values yeah. of where we're headed, exactly. of who yeah. we've become. We've become yeah. this other thing. And that's like, you know, it, it, it's not part of the values that belong here anymore. At some point, it, maybe it made sense, but no longer. And I think that that's a, you know, when you, when you look at anything from a business or from, you know, a, a personal a person's personal values or brand um it's a really key item that you've got to look at and go what do you have to let go of 
to allow more growth in another area. You know, if the, if the cup's full, what do we have to take out so we can put something in? And something yeah. like that landfill is something that it's done now. That's it's seen its time. Yeah. Let's just let that be and do what we yeah. have to do to repair it. Yes. Um, because yes. that's the next set of its values is that we, we need to we need to fix the damage done. Yes. And so and we have, yeah. have to fix without another 50 years of garbage on top uh, of it. Uh-huh. Right? Exactly. Yeah. It's just gonna be it's just gonna be more to fix. Um, and it takes it takes fracking material, so it's taking radioactive drill cuttings, and you know, yeah. there's just it's, I could go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And the thing that has complicated it, Adrian, that's made this the hardest thing to fight ever, is the owner is local, yeah. he is powerful, he is influential, he has worked those seats for years, getting the right people in there to let him just do what he wants to do, and he donates with the money that he makes off that landfill and off our backs because you know we haven't gotten the the, sure. the community has not gotten the money it's supposed to get for 30 years right from him because he's had the people in the right seats um because of that he has the money to donate to guess what the medical school the local universities the you know all these everybody goes don't knock a hole in my phone here comes the money he <laughs> yeah. was just in the newspaper you know standing there being touted you know by Penn State the local Penn State campus because as an like environmental steward because they donated money to the environmental um you know their environmental program right which is part of what they have to do to keep that stinky thing here yeah like it was part of their their benefit analysis right but like the irony of it it's so I'm like, is it, is, everybody sees this, right? Like the people standing in this picture with the big smile on their face, like they get it. They get that they're in the shadow, like yep. literally in the shadow and definitely in the smell path and definitely the bird path and the, the, the toxic air path and the water path of this landfill, right? Um, but you throw a few dollars around and it's amazing how people just smile and pretend. Smile you know, away, smile okay. away, you know, everything's you know? okay over here. Nothing to see and, here. And you know that money he's throwing at it is... Like that's the money oh. that could have been helping our community, right? Like, um, like that's the money he made by not giving as much money to the community as he should have for years. Like, um, it's it's crazy. So I wonder what in the um in, in that landfill, you know, brand um or succession of that brand. I wonder what they've got planned because if he's already done what, fifty years. Um, thirty, so thirty-five. 30, okay, thirty-five, yeah. and he's got another fifty. I wonder what, like, he's obviously made a lot of wealth. Oh, yeah. All this, Adrian. This is about so he can sell it for billions more than he would have, right? So, if you have a fifty-year permit, yeah, of course, if, yeah, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like a long um, lease like, on a building, and yeah, yeah I've got like, something yeah. to sell. Right. Yeah, you can sell it for a, a, a nice a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's nobody, the man is 78 now, and there's nobody that's gonna really take it over. Um so so, so with it being um, you know, President Biden's home, well, he's he's not um pro and, envir- and environmental justice is one of his. We've been we've been up this chain, we've got right to the top of his team. Because his plan, the Biden plan, environmental justice, is yeah. like a big piece of it, right? Yeah. Well, guess what? This landfill is in the middle of an environmental justice community. Like, 
which, you know, it's either your poor minority, a certain percentage is, is uh, like low income and minority. And in this case, it's not a very diverse area, so it's low income. Um, but, you know, Dunmore, where half of this landfill sits, is an environmental justice community. So we were like, hey, Biden, if you're serious, you just used our, you just used this city to get you into the presidency. Like, if you're serious about this, why don't you give us a hand over here? You know, don't let, don't let your, don't let your hometown be like, yeah. be, you know, clean, the, clean up your this, legacy. Yeah, clean up your legacy. Don't let the yeah. first thing that happens after you get to office is that this gets permitted to, you know, to destroy an environmental justice community for the next 50 years, but it didn't do anything. So sad. Didn't do anything yet. Yeah, let's, yeah. Yeah, let's say, yeah, let's, yeah, let's, let's say, yeah. Yeah, let's say, yeah. Let's say, yeah. And, and what if he did do something? What if, yeah. what, what, if, if he, what, what if what if he looked for the what if he looked for the you know the dandelion in the concrete car park? Send that message out to the universe, right? I, I um, agree, I really do, and I think you know, like, there's so many things like that. So when we, I'm going to move to branding, um, because you've got such a passion for this. <laughs> Anybody listening will clearly understand that, and and. The other thing is, is you're a massive action taker. You um, set your course and you take massive action um, towards whatever it is that you've, I suppose, put your sights on. But within the within the values that you think uh, or that you've discovered are, are valuable to others, because it's not it's not about you. It's it, yeah, it's, it's you know um, we it's both all know bigger than that. Yeah, we both Richard. were Richard Petrie, right? And so yeah. he helped me. He said, "What's you know, what's your personal brand?" And I, it's weird. It just came out like that. Poof! Like I didn't have to think about it. I'm like, happiness through helping others. Period. Like that's yeah. that's what drives me every day, right? And like so, um, like that was really easy to to define for me. Um, so that comes into you know my my personal life, my community, and my my work. Right. And how does we were trying to figure out how it, it expresses itself in each of those areas, you know. And so in work, how it expresses itself is um, you, you asked about residential brand yeah. versus commercial brand. Right? Yeah. So um, I do some residential, not a lot, Adrian, like um, because, you know, it's it, they're two different animals. Right. And I, I love kind of keeping that residential, you know, those gears turning and having mm-hmm. something like that on the docket at any different time. Um, but a home is in and of itself a brand, right? When you walk through a home, if you've designed it right, and if like the people in it, like sort of decorate it, let's say decorate it, right? They've got their pictures up of their family and their kids and their Like when you walk in and out of that home and even the location will give them, you know who that family is and what they're up to in the world, right? Like yeah. you, you get it. You don't have to talk to anybody and if you walk through a home with a lot of like love and family spirit and all those things, and um, if they cared about views of the water or the way that the kitchen was designed so everybody could gather, you know, you views of the water so that people, you know, if they're on water, like we can go down to the water, we get these like kind of inspirational views. We have this place for the family to hang out, to recreate. And, you know, we, we thought of how the, the bedrooms and bathrooms are designed so people could, you know, uh, have a very... Have, have a wonderful experience getting ready in the morning and we come together for holidays like and we hang things up on the walls that say who we are you know and and yeah. we just 
you get it, right? And, and people spend so much time designing their homes. It's personal, it's emotional, it's meaningful, right? And that's where they spend how much of their day? Yeah, like not, not uh, so much. Not so much, right? Maybe 20%. So yeah. the rest of their time is spent in the workplace. And I felt like, do most workplaces like respond to who a company is and what they're up to the, in the world? Are they really thinking and caring about the environment their employees are in and that they're spending all their time in? And, you know, is there natural light? Is, are there, you know, are there plants and, and good ventilation and ergonomically comfortable places to sit? And are we really thinking about how to retain and attract talent? Are we telling our story? Because all these companies, so many that we work with, they have these incredible histories and stories to tell. Um, and so I realized that like most workplaces didn't do that and weren't, you know, everyone's thinking of the dream home. Nobody was thinking of the dream office. And this is where we spend our time, right? And that my belief is if people really do think about um, their office in the same way, like the sort of their employees is, is a different kind of family, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. like how can how can we talk about who we are? How can we show that we care? How can we show that we design this in a way that we want people to gather and to, you know, collaborate? Um, and, you know, we use activity-based design too. So based on the activity you're doing, what kind of a space have you offered to do that activity that people have some variety during the day? And so that's kind of where things started. Just that kind of intrinsic and understanding of brand, I, I started kind of naturally bringing that into what we did. And over time, um, and sort of learning to measure is what we're doing successful, you know, is what is what we're bringing to the table successful because businesses it does matter. Did you impact my bottom line in a good way? Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we started to measure that and, um, and we call it return on design investment. And so really, and then we turned what we were doing, we realized we had a process that we were kind of emulating over and over and we kept honing it and honing it and honing it. And we call it our strategic branded experience framework. And it has five factors that we bring into every project. And then we really focus on return on design investment. And that kind of became our niche, you know, that we want to design inspiring spaces that tell a brand story, you know, that people love to be in and want to go to. And it makes your workday pleasant and wonderful and, you know, as, as much as it can be, especially if you like what you're doing, you know, just mm. enhance it. If you don't, it makes it better, right? So. It, it, it's such a fascinating um, topic, this, based on a, a couple of things, based on the fact that we've just, you know, and maybe say still in a pandemic, um, which has a massive effect on people's, uh, what's happened in the workplace. The other is, is that everything um, with, you know, we've still got empty buildings sitting around because of the pandemic. So mm-hmm. landlords need to... Um, or are looking to, I shouldn't say need to, who cares whether they do or don't. It's more they're looking to uh, make sure that these spaces are better, healthier, safer, um, and that there's a a draw to bring people back to them. Um, Business owners are doing the same thing. They're going, you know, like, yes, we want, we're happy to have some remote team, but we don't only want remote team. We still need places of community of our own community to meet and and gather um and people that are working you know remotely or part remotely and all the rest have taken um up 
that probably with a fair bit of gusto and and then or, or need first and then they've developed from that so their homes have actually become partly offices as well like I mean I design homes and we get asked constantly for more office space um and then the on the other side of it we're just about to do an office for a tech company um and their thing their brief to me was is world class so think of whatever it is um and I'm like I said to the owner I said so why what's your what's your driving thing and I know him well I've done his house and stuff like that and said to him what's your driving piece and he said well we only want world-class employees so we're like you know something like Scranton where we're out of the way we're not you know the main town you know we're we're um Brisbane is not far from us and the Gold Coast to draw on the other side of it and we've got the Sunshine Coast very fast growing region but it's still you know a journey away and um that he's like well I want people that you know not that many employees and nobody really will visit the office other than the employees I want them to go um you should see where we work <laughs> you know like 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 partly being paid is one thing and the job that you do is another thing but the environment this is where we work you know that that they're so proud of where they work and what it offers. Yeah. You know, I'm sitting there and I'm talking to him. Sorry. No, no, there's a pride in your workplace. A hundred percent. Yep. And you you feel like this is my, this is my place, right? And the environment. Yep. A pride in the environment of the workspace. Yep. And so. Well, that's. That guy is inspired. That that's a visionary. See, that's uh-huh. and, and so it goes back to this whole story brand philosophy. I don't know Donald Miller and that whole. Uh, but when you find somebody like that, Adrian, they're Luke Skywalker, right? And they have the vision, and they're the hero. They they know how they want. They want to. They know they need to create this environment to attract world class and retain world class employees, and they know it can make a difference. And you become Yoda. You have the plan. You show you're like we. I get what you want to do here. Like I'm going to give you the plan to get there, and I'm going to make it better than you ever thought it could be. I'll go ahead and show you how to, you know. So at the end, you look, you are, and you look like the hero, right? Um, and and you've taken your company from here to here, and I I just sort of guided you, but it's it's people with that vision, like they're the they're the clients that you hope you get who can already see it just don't have the plan to get there. Just, you know? yeah, they just. That's why um, they hire you, right? That's why they hire us. It's like, it, we have the, we have the plan, right? We're, yeah. we, we, we can we'll work it, that but, part out. We'll work that. Yeah, That's what yeah. we do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the things with that, with, um, you know, like with this whole office kind of thing um, and, and workspace is, and COVID's probably been the thing that's probably spotlighted at the most, but is, since the industrial revolution is health and wellness in this workspace so materiality um obviously design but like you said before natural light natural airflow um you know these things that otherwise don't exist in these spaces and so tell me tell me about that part of the journey with it's funny because we we had started designing a space prior to COVID, 
Mm-hmm. And once COVID hit, and then we had to sort of reanalyze the space, we didn't have to change much, Adrian, because we were already doing so many things that were healthy, right? And that were that were already sort of in these principles that people are really looking for in their office space now, where you want to make sure, you know, as we talked about, like, like do not underestimate natural light and airflow, right? Make sure your air is, you know, check out those systems. And we offer a lot of, we have a, a um, we actually have a checklist on our, like a healthy workplace checklist on our website that people can download, you know, to say here are things and, and, and specifically what you should be checking with your air, not just like uh, check your systems, like here specifically is the kind of filter you should have, et cetera. Um, but, you know, we were, you know, we already had nice spacing where we we're cramming people like sardines mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. places. We had, you know, informal gathering areas. We, we always bring in plant life because that's a, you know, that's, a, like, these are low-hanging fruit, right? Natural light, plants, plants increase productivity by up to 15%. They also, like, they're just part of our lifeblood, right? Um, and then, you know, the, the thinking through, um, how you like things that you touch or don't touch, like touchless stuff. We were already doing all that because we're a very sustainable firm. So we follow principles of sustainability. Um, And so when you do that, you're kind of doing that stuff naturally. So bringing, bringing that healthy without boring people with the whole checklist, like, but bringing that into the space, like we were kind of already doing, we were already doing that. So we didn't have to make big shifts. Um, so the, the biggest thing now is that people, I think the, the general model is going to be a hybrid model, at least for some time to come or until we're maybe, maybe and for the rest of our lifetime. Right? Yeah. It may be yeah. the new way. And, and that's cool too. So what that allows, and, and I'm doing it. So we just moved into our own office and, you know, we walked our own walk and, oh God, we all love it. Like we are so happy, like to, to have had the opportunity finally to do it for ourselves. Right. So in my personal office, when I leave, if I'm not here, I can, I can lock you know, my computer and everything down, but the office itself can be used as a meeting room. And we set it up to do that. So it's got like a little meeting area. And so these kind of flexible spaces are going to be sort of the way of the future where if somebody's not in the office all the time, when they're not there, there's, their office can be used for something else, right? So there are a lot of different ways to think now how to decrease the footprint, but still keep it a, you know, a really viable office space and using flexible spaces. Uh, and again, you making sure we always have what we call like a town hall, which is just a communal gathering space. Like everybody loves to gather in the kitchen. That's kind of our version of the kitchen. And since I vote with this office, I can't tell you how many parties we've already had here. Like I'm people just love to come. Yeah. Stay after work. We Fridays, we, we call it friendly Friday. We kind of get together and we're going to have one tonight just because of the, um, yeah, the because Christmas is coming up. Yeah, yeah. we're just going to have a little shindig. Um, I had my my high school reunion here, you know, so we, we can use the office in different ways that, you know, lead to sort of team building and collaboration. And, um, and so that's in relationship, yeah, you know, relationship. Yeah, clients. Yeah. clients. And one of the coolest things was, um, so I bought this building and downstairs a restaurant that's sort of a local institution. Everybody goes there for lunch. So my best marketing of the day is just going down there to pick up lunch, right? Saying hi to everybody or having meetings with them. There's like, come up and see my space, you know? So it's, uh, it's been wonderful. So really thinking through, you know, in our strategic branded experience framework, it just, it just naturally works with the post COVID world. And you do have to make some tweaks for these hybrid places. If you get a chance to, 
it's retrofitting or or designing new. You can we can do it both ways, and we bring the brand experience into that too. So you see this behind me. This uh-huh. is part of our brand experience because you know this is um this is a building that we're uh, hopefully going to be working on soon, and um, it's the Electric City Building, Electric City sign, and we're looking at we're showing we see things from a different perspective, right? This is the back of it, kind of looking at the back of it, yeah. And and that's that's who we are. We're like we're proud of where we're from. We never had like most grant-based firm, even though we've done work out in Las Vegas and, and lots of retail out in Las Vegas on the strip and everywhere else. But we're, you know, we're proud to be from where we are, but we look at things from a different perspective. And if you come into our office and you didn't talk to any of us and you left, you would know who we are, what we're about, and what we're up to in the world. You know, you would have no, no questions. Um, so, so that's kind of what we, we want to bring to spaces. So the, the framework is really about aesthetic beauty. It's about sustainability and it's really about research-based design, right? Yeah. That we do research to make sure what we're doing works. It's not just uh, on a whim. It's not just you know? a, a feel good now and maybe it works, <laughs> maybe it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. We do deep research before every project and then, you know, we bring in the branded environments and then these are all our factors. And then the final factor is relationships. You know, we've stayed a boutique firm intentionally so we can, we can have these close relationships with our clients because they're very important to us. You know, they're, they're our lifeblood and, and we become part of their family. And any client I have, I can tell you as much or more about that company than anybody who works there, you know? Um, so. Which really- is, which is critical to understanding their DNA and their, to understanding yeah. their, you know, it, it, it's like, um, especially in small companies, understanding the owner and the you know who's the principal driver of a firm, um, understanding them and their values, their personal values, and then how that's woven into their business values. Um, and like for this particular client of mine, um, having done their home, I understand their personal values or his personal values and what you know. Like I remember doing his house, and he loves asymmetrical things, and he loves shiny surfaces um these all tell a story of quality for him mm-hmm. and not and not fitting with everything else and he's essentially a math a mathematician um and with that you know like he he obviously sees the world quite differently than i do that's for sure but um once i started to establish these pieces that are for him then it was what was for his wife etc and the kids, you know, like their, their vision of home. But then when I go into the office, he, he you know, I mean, he's, he'd be running around in a pair of jeans and a sweatshirt and a beanie, um, you know, very successful businessman, but that's how he kicks around, you know. And yeah. he wants to do that, though, in an absolutely luxury and beyond well-thought-out um, environment, you know, like, we're putting an oxygen pod in there. We've got a meditation room um, or a flow room, we call it. You know, he has a, a permanent coach on staff and his staff is less than 20. Um, you know, like it, it's that kind of building of stuff. So everything is considered and how do we just keep notching this thing to make it a better environment for our people, a better environment for productivity. He totally gets that your people are everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, so that's like a business thinks it's their product. It is your product, but if you don't have the right people behind that product, you know, or your service, like that's, and if, if, 
you know when you walk into a space what that company thinks about their people, right? It's, it's, you know? It's true. That's so true. And, and like, um, I've just been in, in the journey with Becky, my wife, we've been in the journey of we're looking to buy a premises, you know, like you're saying with the, you've got a restaurant um, below you, we're looking to buy a premises and we've got a, a, a broker that's working on that with us and taking me to places and I'm just, I, I open the door and I go, no. And he, he's like, why? And I go, well, it's got one window here. It's got this here. Like there was one, it's not a bad deal, but it's like, it's got a bus stop right outside the front window, um, which is basically really for a school bus. Um, and so it's got kids that are always sitting all the way along on the front there. They leave their rubbish there. They, um, you know, it's just, and I go, and not only that, I'm looking out across it. I go, no, and there's no side windows. There's a window in the front, basically, and the door on the back. And you go, um, I wouldn't turn up here every day. I wouldn't, you know, well, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn up there every day. You know, it's got to have an outlook. It's got to have, um, and without being, you know, I don't want to necessarily be at the you know, top of the tower and looking across the harbour or whatever it is or out to yeah. sea, um, that'd be fine as well. But it's that's not the driver. It's actually about um, at least having fresh air, you know, all those kind of things and then making an environment inside it, not focusing just everything on the environment outside it, which is what happens a lot in towers and stuff like that. You know, it's all the poor people who work in the middle and then there's all the execs that work around the outside and they get views, but it's all about the view outside of the building rather than what's happening we, inside the building. We do the exact opposite. You know, we put mm-hmm. the offices on the inside, so with glass, you know, glass fronts and democratize the light, you know, so that everybody has yeah. natural light. And uh, and that's, you know, again, it just shows, you know, where are your values? You know, <laughs> what do you 100%. care about? Is it the ego of the corner office or is it the, you know, everybody gets natural light? And we all work more productively, right? And that's really better for the company anyway. So, you know. A hundred percent. And it's better for the humans that work in there. I think one of the other things um, that I'd love to touch on is, is the transition between going to an office space and going home and, and how that transition line gets blurred now that we've got these um, homes where they're offices or being offices. And so you know, you go to work and, and you put on work persona and then you go home and you ideally have home persona um, yeah. and to keep those fluid um, but but separated. Like, And what advice have you got for people who are in that situation um, where they maybe are working at home but how do they get their transition? And yeah. I think that there's even a, a, a man-woman transition, they're different transitions, but that's yeah. only me thinking that. Give me your wisdom. So, you know, when I was working from home, I found it very frustrating personally. Like I like being with people and I, I found it harder to make that what you're taking, going for my, my home mom persona, right? When I'm home, I'm mom. And I found it harder to transition to Michelle, president of DX, you know, Michelle, the architect, um, you know, being at at the kitchen table. Do you know what I mean? So I think, I think one piece of that puzzle is like a space that you make into a workspace, right? That it's dedicated to that, um, that maybe has some privacy, right? So you can, Cause there's like, there's something about crossing the threshold into my office that like, 
my whole being just becomes that part of me, right? Because we all have different parts of ourselves. We have our fun social part. We have our, our parent part. We have our, um, you know, athlete yeah. part, whatever it is. You know, We've we all got split personalities. Something it's, that it's how inspires that transition. Yeah. yeah, right? And, and it's, you know, things, things do blend. But I, I think, you know, for me, when I was working at home, since I didn't have that space, we were just, we just like suddenly we're at home, you know, we're working and I'm at the kitchen table. For me, it was very important to still dress you know, to still put on that, uh-huh. no matter what, to, to, to do my hair and, and put on the, you know, my clothes and, and feel that I was in that, you know, in that professional persona, um, even if I was in my kitchen, you know, so um, I couldn't get back to the office fast enough. And I know that's not everybody, but that was definitely me. I'm that person. I want to be with my team. I want to, I want to create, I want to do that full transition in the morning from the drive-in to crossing the threshold into to my office and, and, and then feeling that I'm here and I, I feel different when I enter my office, you know, yep. I, I, and I, I kind of let go of one part and come into the next. And I know our lives have to blend. I get of that, course. but um, yeah. that was a little bit too much of a blend for me. But I think if you're working from home, I think to, you know, and then if, if you have that space, you know, even, even talking on, on zoom, if that's the new way, you know, sometimes I see backgrounds where I'm like, <laughs> you know, like maybe there's a way you can even make your, 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 what's around you feel like a little more professional. Um, but I, I think trying to just find that there, there's all those memes, those funny memes with people on zoom and they're like pajama pants, you know, or like shorts or whatever. Right. Like, so that's my, I, I think the more you can create a space that feels like when you walk into it or when you're sitting down at it, you feel like you've transitioned into that persona. Like you're able to, even if it's right there, you're able to kind of let that other part of you, you know, rest for a little while. Um, I think that's, that's part of it. You know, something we're still learning, but you know, if, if I were to be working from home more often, I would definitely create a room at home. That would be my work room. Yeah, or or items that I I got asked this recently for an article. How would you do this in your home? And I'm like, the first thing I'd do is I'd dedicate some space, even if I have to set it up each day and take it down each night. I would dedicate a piece of space. I would buy some things from, um, you know, like from an office supply shop that are nice, like. We I did a podcast with a fabulous guy Ken, um, and he has Grove made. And you'd buy some nice of, of these nice items, and those would determine those are the items on your desk or on your workspace. And each day you would put them out if you had to, or if not, you'd leave them out um, if you didn't have to transition them. But then that would change the transition moment to being in work. I would change my music to being in, and and maybe that I would certainly take in, like you were saying, natural light, naturally, yes, some planting, things like this. How these are simple things to do, but just create a zone that is of the purpose. Yeah. Um, and what I've seen as the uh, as the reflection on that now is from different business owners I know 
they're saying that they are one of their encouragements for people to come back to the office is to let people have more personalization in their own office space, you know, more than just a photo of the, you know, wife and kids or husband and kids or whatever, more than and a dog, you know, those kind of things. More than that, what are some of the things that uh, not everybody has to have the same desk, not everybody has to have these things. And so there's even more value put against the interior design aspect of it and the brand value of the person plus the brand value of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and otherwise it's going to look like a jumble sale and then it yeah, will lose yeah. yeah it will lose something so this this really up close and personal kind of so this is you and this is what makes your story but within this story this is your piece of this story yeah. um and i think that's a really amazing thing to try and blend next in that journey um is how we get those stories to the, the overall brand of a of a space and or you know of a business and it's got to have congruency through its values and stuff and then that next point is is the individualistic point of each person who works in there and how they feel about how that brand is not be told just how they the values that they live and die for it's really interesting too kind of being able to bring some of that into the into the space and yeah and that, it Exactly. And look, often, you know, if they're, you know, employees, team members, they're going to be transitional as well. They're not necessarily going to be there forever. Um, And, you know, for their sake and for the business's sake, you know, both these things tend to evolve. Um, And so then that's got to be handleable in that environment as well. Yeah. And I think some environments that's easier to do than others, like creative environments, I think, yeah, we'll have a different desk, personalize it like this. And I know some like, Highly creative, um, I want to say Pixar, not, was it Pixar that did that or Disney, like let people sort of design their little space and it's all different and they're illustrators or something. So uh-huh. it works really well there. You know, other environments, if, if that's not as possible, I think that's why it's important to give people different types of space to work in, right? So if I'm doing one sort of thing, I can be at my desk working. If maybe I'm just reading a code book or doing something, I can be over on a couch, you know, sipping a cup of coffee while I do that or out on the back porch or, you know, like, so you're giving me these different zones for, or I, you know what, I work in an open office environment, but I have to make a personal phone call, sort of that work-life blend again, right? Um, my kid's teacher called, or I have to talk to the doctor and I, I can't do it out here. So rather than take my cell phone or run outside in the cold or whatever, like have a, have a room or a space available for that, you know, like a little phone booth or we call mm-hmm. it or which can be also that meditation room or, mm-hmm. you know, for nursing mothers or whatever it might be. So like having those spaces, I think go a long way to making it feel a little more personal, right? Even if you can't personalize to the extent that like maybe a super creative place could do, you can still feel like you have these options, these different kinds of areas based on what you're doing. And like, a, you know, you can have your privacy if you need it you know, and, and kind of, make sure that's part of an office space. That's what we do. We make sure that's part of an office space. I think that's so, a you know, really, really key points, you know, those ones like personalizing, you know, making it so that it is something that's a transition space or so that you transition to it and transitioning yourself um, in, the, in the home workplace and then in the um, office workspace, having space for people to do the other actions that they're going to need to do 
on their daily basis or, you know, as emergencies, whatever, um, which allows them to do that in their workspace as opposed to them leaving their workspace to go and deal with it. Um, And then, you know, they're around um, support and everything in their workspace as well. They're around an environment that supports them and people that support them because they're all part of a team. You know, you're galvanising things. Um, I think that's probably the, those are the points I take from your, your last piece there. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was really things. good, really, really good. Yeah. Michelle, what an amazing chat. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to post all your socials. We're going to post how to get hold of you and all the rest. And I think um, if you want, we should put a link up that is to your, um, you know, your downloadable there on creating the right home or the right, not home, sorry, the right space, the right brand space that you, your document there um, for people to go, oh, okay, wow, okay, this is how this is how I approach this. This is a methodology to approach my thinking. Um, yeah, we have, a, we have a lot of blogs. They can download the Healthy Workplace Checklist. Um, and uh, now that we're in our space, we're, we're going to get our social heated up back back up again. We we're finishing a big project, including our own. Yeah. Uh, so I have a blog to write about this. So it's going to be really fun. Um, but yeah, please post those links. I'd be happy. And if anybody has any questions, just reach out. Oh, it's so awesome. fun to talk to you, Adrian. You're so fun. <laughs> so lovely to talk to you as well. And let's um, reconvene with the office. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah, we can do a real the office. Yeah, yeah, we can we can do a real uh, cool podcast just on that. I know we talked about some of it, but there's so much more to talk about there. It'd be a real fun topic sometime. That would be really fun, really, really fun. Hey, have the most wonderful holiday season. Um, enjoy it with the family, and I imagine it's nice and cold there. It's boiling hot here, so. Um, <laughs> and, and I was so excited to hear that you have, you know. Um, space in the office for people that do come in because I will come in when I'm in the States. <laughs> I probably need a space to work for a day. Um, I kind of have these offices dotted around the world because of my podcast where I go, oh, yeah, cool, I could go there. Yeah, okay, I could actually sit there for half a day and get through some work and then keep going. Yeah, desk for you. You have, you have a desk here anytime. Right? That's, what I'm, I, that's what I'm doing when I'm, I'm just about to redo my offices to exactly the same. So you can, like, here, like, look, watch this. It, you can, like, my desk goes up and down. Oh. You can stand up and work <laughs> or sit down and work. Again, it's back to help, you know, sitting is the new smoking, they say. So you can stand and work or you can sit and work. So oh, that's I another love part that. of our healthy workplace. So. Sitting is the new smoking. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> hey, um, thank you again. Really brilliant. And um, enjoy the holidays. And we'll you talk too. soon. Thank you. Talk okay. soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, If it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking 
say three questions and this is called takeaway selling so this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you it's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them you put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you it's that type of thing so this is called takeaway selling so the first question you ask you say well why don't you just leave the situation as it is why why make the change that's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will. Richard's